Hello, Five Things listener. Communication is everything, especially for marketers and PR professionals. But if communication is more than your job, if it's your passion, then you should check out the podcast Stories and Strategies. Stories and Strategies is about human communication. It explores the deeper issues impacting marketing and PR professionals, such as artificial intelligence capabilities, behavioral science, behavioral economics, nudge theory, and making communication content and materials more accessible. You'll get all of this and more when you check out Stories and Strategies, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. Each week, we search for social stories to give you so much that you can soak up like a sponge of knowledge. This week, we have two people who are not strangers to the show. We have Gray's metaverse slash emerging tech and gaming guru, Amanda Davis, joining us, sadly, for the last time. And Gray's senior manager of social and influencer, Kyla Sloan. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Joey. Hi, Kyla. Hello. Amanda, what has been your biggest highlight from your years at Gray? Oh my gosh, five years at Gray. My biggest highlight, consistently through many of the years that I've been here, I'm not going to lie to you, it's been this podcast from the pre-pandemic days, doing it in person with the original crew up to today. Perfect way to send me off and wrap my time up here. Great. Your check is in the mail for that answer and I appreciate it so very much. And hi, Kyla. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's a great day to be alive. I'll just leave it at that, you know? Another day, we're showing up, we're doing this thing. I'm, I'm pretty sad, though, that Amanda is leaving us. I will say that. Yeah. Do you have a highlight from your years at Gray? Well, honestly speaking, I haven't made a year quite yet, but I will say that my highlight thus far has definitely been creating really great relationships from a remote working space because I am working fully remote in Dallas, Texas. There you go. All right. I'm Joey Scarillo. And I just want to say to both of you how great of an amazing job you did a few months ago when we did our live episode for South by Southwest. I think that was the last time we had you both together with me on the show. And listeners, if you haven't heard that, go check it out. It was Amanda's recap. Kyla was there too. It was your first time on the show. It was awesome. So go check that out. All right. Let's get into the five things for today. First up, Amanda's going to talk meta. They provided some clarity on their video content algorithms. Then Kyla provides intel on Instagram streamlining the platform's commerce feature. Then Amanda chats Snap's outline for their platform goals for the future. Kyla will tell us about Twitter adding podcast support and additional audio options. And finally, Amanda shares Twitter's insights into conversations about the NFL ahead of the season opener. And there might be an extra thing squeezed into that conversation about Twitter, but more on that later. All right, team, let's get into it. Amanda, tell us about Meta providing clarity into video content algorithms. All right. So there's been a lot of conversation recently about Meta's shift from more of a photo-led app on both Facebook and Instagram to prioritizing video content. Obviously, we saw that the Kardashians had a lot to say about that. But in light of recent conversations and a lot of pushback, honestly, from creators on not really understanding how the platform works, how the algorithm works, and how prioritization works, Meta has released a bit of an overview that helps them understand a little bit more how video content is treated on the platform. With this, they also announced 
accounts that video accounts for 50% of the time that users spend on Facebook specifically. So it's understandable why they're trying to make sure that creators understand the video type and prioritize that platform. So first, when it comes to the algorithm, they mentioned that the most important element in video ranking is originality. So what this really means is they're not going to prioritize reshared content or content that perhaps is posted or made from another platform. They didn't go into depth about what this means. I would imagine this means that things like TikTok are deprioritized or things that are not made in the native camera app on either Instagram or Facebook are deprioritized. But what they're trying to do is make sure that they bring as much original content into the platforms as they can. The second element they noted is that creators should quote unquote capture and retain attention, which sounds very clear. But what they mean by this is they're taking a look at how long people are watching videos, if they taper off, if the content is well received by the audience and they want to keep watching it, or if it's something that people maybe start watching, but it doesn't capture their attention enough to keep watching. They did mention that this does not consider the content length. It really just looks at how much of a video people are watching before they click out of it or maybe click to the next piece of content. Um, the third element that they mentioned that comes up in their algorithm prioritization is quote unquote loyalty and intent. This sounds really serious, but essentially this takes into account if users are coming to a creator's page to watch videos, if they are repeating viewership, if they're coming back to see if the account has posted more videos. So really this asks creators to make perhaps either serial video content series or multiple original pieces of content that people are returning to the platform to see. It takes this into account when prioritizing that in the algorithm, trying to maintain that loyalty and get people coming again to the platform for more original content. The last element that they highlighted is engagement. So obviously this means things like likes, shares, comments. And I think this was probably surprising as a lot of people may have assumed this is the first piece of prioritization that Meta and Instagram look at when prioritizing content. And while this does factor into whether a piece of content is seen or served to more people, it's not the number one factor. So again, Meta trying to give a little bit of transparency into this algorithm and how it might work in hopes that more creators will come to both of their Instagram and Facebook platforms. That is interesting. The piece of this that I want to focus on is back up at the top about the 50% of the time spent in the app in video. Kyla, do you think that that number is true? Or do you think it's skewed knowing that Instagram and Facebook are constantly pushing video on us? Do you think that number is is a true number or have they manipulated us towards 50% of video content? You know, I was kind of wondering the same thing. One thing Amanda mentioned about making video content in app versus not in the app. I wonder if they're really true. You know what I mean? And I think to answer your question, Joey, about 50%, I think now video content has become the natural progression because they've probably probably kind of pigeonholed us into creating that type of content because it's what they want to prioritize. I'm definitely seeing one shift from creators working in that space, but also just from regular app users, just shifting to video content because I can tell that everyone kind of wants their content to be seen and, and loved. And if you are still posting photos, it's just not getting as much engagement. It's just not getting as many impressions. The reach is very low. And those are indications that, you know, they aren't really sharing that type of content to begin with. So yeah, their prioritization of video content for sure is pretty pretty obvious in my opinion. Amanda, do you think that what happened with the Kardashians and what information they're getting from users who want to stay in the photo world, do you think this data is a bit of people saying what they want, but not really saying what they do? Yeah, I definitely think we're at a very early place for Meta to be able to speak very clearly and candidly about how video content's performing. The other reality is that a lot of creators are turning static assets into video assets in order to try 
to game the algorithm or get one up on what they think is being prioritized. So I think that this response is partially in response to the Kardashians, partially in response to this kind of content trick that people are doing. But in reality, I kind of am craving Meta to more overtly say that the kind of content that people consume on Facebook and Instagram is different than TikTok. And I think that as they outline some of these kind of best practices, they're tiptoeing around that without outwardly saying it. And I think it would definitely benefit them to say, this is the kind of content that people consume on Facebook. It's informational. It's engaging. It's perhaps a little bit more long form. It's slightly different than the kinds of content that is successful on TikTok. And this is the way to help creators from all kinds of content types understand these platforms and how they can be successful there. All right, let's stick with Meta in their universe and talk about Instagram streamlining platform commerce features. Kyla, why don't you tell us about it? Definitely. Social media today reported that Instagram will actually be scaling back their shop feature in the app. So if you ever notice, there is a shop tab that appeared sometime in 2020 when we were on lockdown during the pandemic, where you could shop directly in app with whether it be smaller businesses, larger businesses. But there was that e-commerce feature essentially that you could use to get direct products while using the Instagram app. And so apparently the feature within the app is not proving to be as successful and sales just aren't there. A lot of that influence is also said to come from China and that market because they see a lot of success with e-commerce shopping online and and that being funneled in from influencers and from video content, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, essentially they've decided to scale back and actually remove the shop feature within the Instagram app. I'll be honest. I think that this is pretty interesting. At one point in time, this shop feature did make sense. However, because Western markets have not adopted, like I said, this e-commerce approach, it just isn't worth the added on experience. When we think about Instagram and the different tests and trials that they do in the app to kind of keep up with other platforms, it kind of feels like convoluted and a a little bit just like overstimulating. There are so many options, whereas it might benefit them to just focus on what they do best. So we just talk about with Amanda video content and that being the priority, for example. So that's definitely where they're pivoting and where they're shifting their focus as to really make that the priority for them at this time. And I will also say, though, that this might not be the best case scenario for retailers who have signed up for like Facebook and Instagram shops, and they could definitely have an effect on future reach and connection opportunities. But just coming from the point of view of someone who works in influencer marketing, it's an exciting case for influencers that brands will start to lean on influencers to kind of fill in that gap a little bit to allow influencers to reach their audiences and to introduce them to these brands versus them leaning on an app to kind of have that like direct sales approach there. Yeah, they'll almost have to if they want to stay relevant on Instagram. Amanda, I know you've done a lot of Instagram shopping in your day. You might even have something being delivered today. How will this affect the user experience and how will this change how you shop on Instagram? Yeah, I think this is, to Kyle's point, a little bit surprising. Instagram definitely launched a lot of these features trying to mimic the Eastern market and a lot of that, what we would call social shopping. That again, hasn't really caught on as much in the West or with live stream shopping or any of the other platform features. So I think that this will disrupt a bit of how people are shopping on Instagram, but I also wouldn't be surprised. Most of the time when we see platforms streamline their features, it usually means there's some kind of product update coming 
coming or there's some kind of new offering coming. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is something in the pipeline for Instagram to more specifically tie their advertising model and their shopping model together. Right now, they're slightly disparate. You can obviously advertise a product or you can advertise a piece of content, but it's not generally one and the same. So this will change in the short term how people shop and how I shop specifically. But I do think there'll be some updates that we'll see later this year or early next that make it a little bit more natural to what people in the Western market are actually purchasing through. Yeah, something's going to have to replace that tab in Instagram. All right, let's jump over to Snap. Amanda, tell us about Snap outlining platform goals for the future after some staffing shifts. All right, we've taken a week off of five things, so we did not get to talk about this last week, but Snap CEO Evan Spiegel has recently announced last week that they had to make some department cuts across, I think it was around 30% of their staff, mainly on their experimental Web3 kind of new product focused teams. So the update from the update is essentially an internal memo that came out to Snap employees that outlines what their new goals are and what the company's vision is for the future, specifically about two years. So there's a lot of details in this plan. I think it ended up being something like 11 pages, 4,000 words. But the overarching takeaways are that the goals are to grow the user base by 30% and increase revenue to $6 billion in 2023. So that's in the next year and handful of months. So again, Evan provides a lot of detail into the way that they're going to do this. Overall, though, it really relies on increasing penetration in new countries. So perhaps markets that maybe people aren't using Snap as much or verticals aren't really leveraging it or with new demographics. So again, we always think of Snap as being slightly younger and or slightly older in the millennial audience that was familiar when it came out. It sounds like Snap's going to focus more on expanding that demographic and age demographic specifically to bring more people into the app. What this means and some of the goals that Evan outlined is that he wants to grow time spent on the platform by 10% per user in 2023. Sure, this has to do with some of the content distribution deals that people do spend a lot of time kind of perusing on their Explore page. Snap announced that they want 35% of users interacting daily with the Map tab of Snapchat and 30% of users on Spotlight, its TikTok competitor, basically, every day. So they want people getting into the app, maybe seeing what their friends are doing, seeing what's happening locally, and looking at a lot more video content. Again, trying to take a bite from TikTok and some of the traffic that they see there. I think what's interesting, though, is that Snap is not walking away from their really best-in-class augmented reality kind of AR filters that they offer. What they're trying to do is make sure that this can be monetized a little bit more. So they're really focused on AR-based advertising, helping brands understand how they can use AR effects or lenses to not only advertise, but reach new people and create new content experiences. So while it did cut some of their quote-unquote Web3 departments, it really is keeping their AR enterprise intact to help kind of sell this technology to other companies and help developers and communities understand how AR can be leveraged and become a little bit more natural in how people interact with the platform. It's a really important part right now, but I don't think it's leveraged as much as it should be. Overall, pretty interesting. I think this was probably much needed after all the staffing cuts that were announced over the last few weeks. It's great to know that there is a very clear, concise vision in place. And, and so far, the platform has done pretty well, but perhaps is going to pull the reins back on some of the more experimental projects that they've been working on. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, Kyla, what do you think brands can do to help Snap reach its goals, but also what can Snap do to help 
foster brands with the new vision for the future? You know, Joey, that's a very tough question, in my opinion. Looking at it as a consumer, like personally, I don't use Snapchat. And so sometimes I often wonder the same thing, like what is the opportunity? But I also think that there is opportunity with Snapchat specifically, just feeling a bit more authentic and allowing brands to tell a story that just feels a little bit more like human, kind of behind the scenes, sort of like what people think brands could potentially do on like a B-Reel, but we're starting to feel like there isn't room for brands on B-Reel. So kind of taking that approach on Snapchat, if that makes sense. There are some features outside of like what we often see brands use Snapchat for like AR filters, but there are some other features that I think brands could tap into. Like I said, that'll just help humanize the brand and give us a deeper look inside the behind the scenes, the day to day, what's happening that we don't know about that isn't just like super highly produced or has thousands of dollars behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Make that brand more authentic and using Snapchat as a way to do that. All right, let's move on to our fourth thing. The rest of the show, we're just talking about Twitter. Kyla, tell us about Twitter who added podcast support and additional audio options. Yes, so I thought that this was extremely interesting. As I'm sure most of us know, Twitter has integrated their Twitter Spaces uh, feature within the app. And so they've actually revamped this Spaces tab with the addition of podcasts. So this is now visible to groups who are apparently English-speaking audiences on both iOS and Android. So both available on iOS and Android. But more specifically speaking, the redesign introduces more of like a hub. So these are called stations. They group content together based on different topics such as news, music, sports, etc. Essentially, they want to identify what type of podcasts you are interested in, what types of content you're interested in consuming. And then that way they could take those as recommendations for introducing you to new topics, new people, new creators to follow. And so Twitter users will now be able to access this personalized section, whether it be live or recorded within the spaces area. And the hubs will also feature some of the most popular podcasts around the world. So you never know, we might come across five things on the new Twitter podcast feature because that is an option, but you can give podcasts as a user, thumbs up, thumbs down, and it'll let them know what's interesting to you. And like I said, you can make those recommendations. But what I thought was the most interesting kind of like statistic was that Twitter says their internal research uncovered that 45% of Twitter users actually listen to podcasts. And so I thought that that was clear that there is some type of opportunity to help users discover new content based on different topics they're interested in. And as we know, the way that users use Twitter, it's kind of like that news feed. You know, we check it early in the morning to kind of see what's going on in the world or if there's a popular event happening. We use it to check in to see other people's thoughts and in their points of views. So I could see that there would be some alignment, whether it be live conversations or recorded conversations that just feel super timely and appropriate for, you know, whatever that conversation may be specific to. And so we've seen countless times how apps try integrating new features to keep users from leaving the app because why leave when you can experience that same type of thing within the app? So that 45% is pretty impressive. And since Twitter has that viewership or usership, I think that there's some opportunity there. However, I'm not 100% sure that this is a space for brands to necessarily play in. That's, I think, the true question. I could see a world where maybe brands are partnering up with creators to maybe help bring life to conversations around the brand. But I really believe that this is a play for Twitter to give their creators a new opportunity to shine because there's not a lot of room in like copy-only tweets as a creator, right? working with brands. So I think that it's kind of like a plus up for a lot of people who have really great following on Twitter. Yeah, 
Here's a little fun fact for you both, if you didn't know this already. Before Twitter was Twitter, Twitter was called Odeo, and it was a podcast app. So it's kind of come full circle for Twitter. Okay, so here's my question about this. I haven't got the feature yet. I'm still just in a Twitter spaces that hasn't rolled out to me yet. Amanda, do you think that brands who were maybe interested in starting their own podcast could now have one more avenue to do so that might feel a little bit more natural on Twitter, where we know that there is a lot of brand voice and a lot of brands interact with each other. Do you think maybe that the podcast on Twitter could be another place for them to do that? Yeah, I definitely think it's a place that brands can tap into the exploration of audio content, whether that's spaces or podcasts. But I think to Kyla's point, they're probably going to be best served by understanding the creators in the community that are already in the space and how to leverage them specifically. Twitter is such a casual conversation that as soon as things become too branded or too brand heavy or too brand centric, it does start to feel inauthentic very quickly. So I think as brands start to get into the space, they'll start to see success when they tap into more natural conversations that are either already happening or with creators that are natural to the space. So I think with that twist, it can be successful, but just making sure that just like with any platform, you're kind of going in the most organic way. Well, you know, it's interesting too, right? Because if there isn't a Twitter spaces happening live, engaging with podcasts is another way to keep people on the app. Kyla, do you think that you will listen to podcasts in Twitter? I wouldn't be opposed. I think that it really can be a great point of discovery because because when you think about how Twitter is leveraged in some cases, like from the lens of virality, right? Like you could post a photo of yourself on Instagram, a photo of yourself on Twitter, or let's say video for the sake of, you know, what we're prioritizing right now. But Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, the same video, it could go viral on all platforms. And as a creator, you've officially grown your audience in all areas, right? And so I think that it's a cool opportunity for people who are in the podcast space to have a chance to reach new audiences that they may not have been able to tap into. And the past, if that makes sense. And so I would try it out. I think what's hard sometimes is live conversations, whether it be Instagram Live, Twitter Spaces, TikTok Live, because if you're just not in the moment and you're not there to tap in, you just miss it. And so when you have that evergreen type of content, it gives people an opportunity to tap into it at a later time frame and just catch up on the conversation, which I think is just a really great opportunity. So I don't know, Joey, I might I might have to add that to my list. I don't have the feature yet. I check. But when I do, I want to see like what all type of content is included for sure. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, let's stick with Twitter. Amanda, I'm sure you are very excited about the start of the NFL season. And so is Twitter. They shared their insights about the NFL conversation. Tell us about it. As football season is currently gearing up and the season is kicking off, Twitter has released a report of insights to help creators and brands understand how the channel is being used in real time during the football sports season. The platform released some staggering facts to me, at least, including that the NFL season as a whole has the same tweet volume as over 19 Super Bowls. I think that's crazy. So the Super Bowl is a place where a lot of people flock to Twitter to have a conversation about the commercials, the game, the food, the parties. And so when we look at that happening essentially over and over again throughout the next handful of months. It's clear that this is a place that it's a huge conversation. A lot of people are jumping in and Twitter has given us some information about what they're talking about and when. 
What I found interesting is that not only are people talking about pro football, but they're also talking about college football just as much with some of the more specific data around it growing up to 75% year over year as people use the platform to have conversations here. It was also mentioned that 45% of football-related tweets happen outside of the game and 73% of brand mentions also happen outside of the game itself. So thinking about the weekdays, thinking about the days that there's not a game already happening, people are still talking about football. They're still sharing their highlights, their takeaways, their recaps, some of the ways that brands are activating there. So it's not something that's only happening on specific days. It's pretty consistent throughout the week. They also talked a bit about the kinds of content that's being shared in the football conversation. Video is going getting a lot of attention, 10.3 billion views throughout the season. And to contextualize it, that number is the equivalent of every person in the U.S. watching 40 football-related videos each per season. That's a crazy number, especially seeing as I watch zero of them. So someone's really making up for my lost video content that they're watching. But knowing that video is really king in this conversation, people are sharing highlights, they're sharing clips, they're sharing some of the big, exciting sports moments. And then relevant to that too, there's a lot of conversation around sports betting. So, you know, this is being legalized in a lot of states. There's a lot of apps that have helped people get access to sports betting. And there's been a 33% year-over-year increase in tweets around the sports betting conversation. So again, people are very passionate about this sport, as I am, and are talking about highlights. They're talking about players. They're talking about brands. They're talking about sports betting. They're talking about teams and some other football-related things. So again, as someone who's not as close to the football conversation, this was still really surprising. I think Twitter's done a great job this year of giving brands especially insight into how people are using the platform. And a lot of it might be in unexpected ways or things that you might not consider to be the first place that people are showing this information. So if you're a brand or a creator, you know, consider how to get into the football conversation in a way that makes sense for your brand. But also pay attention to these reports as Twitter's going to keep kind of giving transparency into user behavior on the platform. I'm so glad that your last story was about sports and football. You did great. You didn't say anything wrong. Kyla, there was a lot of information here and I know you are a football fan. What jumped out to you the most that you think was the most interesting, especially for brands? You know, I think the statistics around NCAA football conversation growing is really interesting. And I say that because I was actually working with a brand here at Gray on a campaign for this year's NCAA season. And they're wanting to get in front of those conversations on social media specifically. If we're talking about television, some of the most viewed games or honestly viewed sports games in the US at least are like the college football championship, for example. So I Although I'm not shocked at the rise in conversation on Twitter regarding NCAA football, it's just really exciting. Also, I come from a D1 football university, Go Tigers, LSU. So that's just really exciting. I think we have like the first or second most following for our football program between Instagram and Twitter. And so I was even looking at statistics for the brand we're working with here at Gray a few weeks ago and just seeing how much conversation is growing, how much fans are following these teams' Twitter accounts just to keep up with the conversation. So it's really interesting and it's really exciting. And honestly, Amanda, I'll just have to bring you to a game one year. Let's make that happen. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm a big pro football fan. Go Steelers, Pittsburgh, all the way. So I'm very much looking forward to this season as well. Okay, we teased out at the top of the show that there was an extra thing. Amanda, we're not going to let you get away from us without at least giving us a little nugget of what you learned this week about Twitter, which could turn into a big story later. But for now, could you just tell us what we know about the new secret feature? Yes. It seems that Elon has impacted the Twitter product team because it's been announced that 
some users, regional users in New Zealand specifically that have Twitter Blue, will be able to start editing their tweets. So right now, this is being rolled out in a very limited fashion. The functionality is essentially that these users with access will be able to edit their tweet after posting within 30 minutes of posting it. So they're going to be allowed to change the tweet up to five times before 30 minutes from posting time is up, and then they won't be able to edit it anymore. So Twitter is essentially doing this in a bit of a slow rollout because there's been a lot of concern around not only the sharing of misinformation, but also scams. If a respected entity or influencer on the platform shares something to their followers that is legitimate and somehow their account gets hacked or something changes within the links that they've included or any of the information, it can be very confusing to have obviously some of the wrong information in there. So very curious to see how this goes. They obviously want to keep an eye on it and see if it's causing any problems or if it's being used for any negative reasons on the platform. But those people who have been asking Twitter very nicely for an edit button will start to see if this is something that's going to be rolled out globally. I can't wait. I know I could use it. All right, friends, that does it for us this week. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to talk about. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcastgray.com. Of course, I want to thank Kyla Sloan. And one last time, say thank you to one of the original panelists on this show, Amanda Davis. Thank you both for joining us on the pod. As always, I want to thank Danielle Hunt and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And finally, thank you, listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.